Hey, what's up, everybody? This is the guest, Cleese Davis from GearWorks.com and the E2KG Network podcasting channel here with the premiere issue for the 2019 season of the podcasting network with what's your issue. Actually, technically, the 2019 season already premiered with the first episode of It's Another Thing Movies, which we recorded this previous Saturday, covering the Orson Welles film, actually Orson Welles' final film, uh, The Other Side of the Wind, as well as the documentary covering that film, uh, they'll love me when I'm dead. This is the kickoff issue, the kickoff episode. Sorry, every podcast about comic books, I always get mixed up between constantly saying episodes and issues because obviously we read issues of comic books and then I get tongue tied trying to say episodes of the podcast. So, uh, here with me, as always, is my loyal companion, Mr. Stephen Laura. How are you doing, Stephen? Doing great. Great. Let's dive right into it. So, we, you know, 2018 kind of went out on a whimper with a, re- a relatively small number of books that shipped. 2019, however, got off to a roiling bang with dozens of books being shipped all over the place. I think this week, uh, I know, I think Dynamite, I think, is shipping like even more than it shipped in the first week. So it's pretty crazy. We have a lot of books to go over. We are actually yeah. technically covering books that shipped both the 2nd of January as well as I think the, the 26th of December. We have those in the mix. Um, I, we, we structured the agenda. We didn't necessarily uh, overly load it with books that shipped the 26th. We just kind of uh, clumped them in as potential topics to cover in uh, with the books that shipped on the second. So the first book, if you haven't listened to the show before, this is a spoilery comic book review show covering the books that shipped the most recent new comic book day shipping week. Um so we are not going to shy away from any of the detail in the books. We uh, may choose of our own accord not to reveal certain details, um, but uh, but by and large, what we expect is that you've read the comics at this point and you're here to come and talk or listen to a talk about them in every detail. So we're not going to shy away from any topics in the book. If you're concerned about that, go back and read them and then come back. Uh, we generally cover about six books in the reviews segment of the show, which uh, is at the top of the show and leads us off. Then we each discuss the best thing that we read the preceding week and then go into our honorable mentions and finish up the show by letting you know what is on our pull list for the upcoming week so you know what to come back and expect next week. First up in the review segment rundown, and I apologize, I'm going to get through the show as much as I can tonight. I do have a cold that I caught, my wife and I caught from our youngest daughter, so... I'm very congested right now, uh, but we will get through as best as we can. Um, first up in the review segment tonight, I am covering uh, Mr. and Miss Marvel number seven, which is unusual because, Stephen, this is really kind of one of yeah, your my book. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, Mr. And Mrs., Mr. and Mrs. Marvel number seven, if you don't know the setup for this, this is the long-awaited by some people uh, culmination of marriage between... Uh, Gambit and Rogue, a romance which has been going on in the Marvel Universe for some odd, you know, two decades uh, between these two characters. And when Kitty Pride and uh, Colossus's uh, <clears throat> recent marriage didn't go through, Gambit and Rogue took the opportunity to upstage them, basically, and choose to get married. Which, if that ever happens to you in real life, don't get married on the day that your friend's marriage falls apart. Right. Yeah, that's <laughs> not, so not a very classy thing to do. It happened in the CW shows too. 
So, uh, Mr. Mrs. Marvel number seven was writer Kelly Thompson, artist Oscar Basil Dua, colorist Frank D'Amata, and letterer the great Joe Sabino. So, the situation in this is uh, Mojo, if you remember that character, uh, and his wacky crew, whom we know from Longshot lore. So, it's 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 always weird to me when one of these comics from my time as a tween ager um, kind of kicks in. Uh, but Mojo and his wacky crew, as far as I remember, got their debut in a mini in a long shot miniseries, which came out in like the nineteen mid nineteen eighties, like nineteen eighty six, when that character was introduced. Um, uh, so they have set the couple up to be part of another one of their elaborate entertainment schemes. The, the stick with these characters is always that Mojo is responsible for entertainment in his demon dimension or whatever, and so is always capturing heroes, um, trying to kind of put them in kind of like a running man style uh, <clears throat> approach to putting heroes in crisis and getting them on camera. Um he, uh, you know, he's he's got a couple of partners in crime. He has the multi-armed Spiral, who's a female character, kind of dressed like a samurai, and uh, Major Domo, um, and then Mojo himself is kind of like a poor man's Jabba the Hutt. Uh, so, uh, so there you go. I had a bit of a nostalgic twinge uh, when I saw these characters pop up, and I was like, oh, it's these guys. Um, so, uh, at any rate, Mojo is trying to craft his new movie or whatever. At the end of the day. I guess the key thing is it's not really important what Mojo is trying to do. Um, the, he, they kind of flip flop the heroes back and forth from everything from a uh, noir detective type story to whatever else. Um, this comic for me, the story was okay. It just felt a bit flimsy. Um, and in a lot of ways it, it makes me feel like strategically, I'm not sure that Marvel really knows what they want to do or accomplish with this comic and putting these two characters together finally in matrimony. Um, it's kind of like, and there have been some high points of this series. Like I, I really liked uh, uh, when, when they had Deadpool guest appear because the, the dynamic between the three of them was pretty exciting. But I think at the end of the, this is one of the things that's problematic is when you put a couple together, now you have to make an exciting, an exciting dynamic that comes out of a triangle, a trio of characters. Um, otherwise, it's just it's just these two. And, you know, other than, in my mind, other than kind of Lois and Clark, the, the, the show that famously, you know, put, you know, Superman kind of permanently together with Lois. But even there, there was romantic tension for several seasons before the two of them finally tied the knot. But the, the point is, is that this, to me, is very akin to what happens on a television show when you finally get the two characters who have been dating married and like after that the show isn't as popular and it's over because you kind of don't know what to do once the guy gets the girl um so it was really hard for me to settle down and accept this comic as just kind of pure dumb fun because it 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 didn't feel as whimsical as the deadpool issue which again when we could join the two weeks the deadpool issue was in this pile of books that i read Scotty Young is writing that one, and even Scotty is writing that a little less silly and comical than he has done some other books in the past. This book just felt a bit like it was trying too much to be both serious and concurrently whimsical, and the tone just felt off to me. Uh, the, biggest, the biggest thing that I really liked about the story is I like the nuance with whatever it is that's going on with Spiral. 
because it feels like she's looking at the at the couple through a lens of kind of tragic enjoyment, like like almost like you know if these two heroes can get together, then maybe there there's there's hope, um, you know for 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 people who find themselves in strange lanes in life. Um, I don't I don't I don't know, but there's there's something going on where Spiral doesn't necessarily regard them as prey or as extreme enemies. Um, as she may have in the past, there's some kind of soft spot. It seems like developing for her, um, and to, to which Mojo kind of maybe he picks up on that and kind of threatens her with some you know extreme treatment if she doesn't go along with the plan. Um, but at any rate, it, it, you know the the story was fine enough, but it just didn't grab me as having a huge potential to go anywhere. Um, you know, you know from there. Um, despite the nostalgia kick that I mentioned before that I got from seeing these characters pop up. Uh, on art, I, I, I liked what Basil Dua does with pencils, um, and particularly some of the unique lines that he draws, uh, especially with Rogue. Um, but I wasn't really a huge super fan of the f- kind of flat color treatment that Demata gave. And Demata's been in the game a while. This is not a new hat for him. Um, I will say Basil Dua did absolutely amazing fight choreography. I really love how they portrayed, how they went, kind of went back. It was almost kind of retro to paint Gambit as this great melee character where when you go back to his origin, it was more about him with the staff than it was about him like flicking the explosive cards around. And they've slowly walked away from that over the last couple of decades. Um, so it was really great to see him in like a great, just old fashioned fight scene where he was really the centerpiece. Like he didn't really lean on rogue and her strength that much. Um, and then, and then Demata does really kick it and show his skill. Uh, when there's a point in the story where rogues powers look like they're going haywire and it, it, it appears as if she's like disintegrated gambit and there's some kind of darker passages in there. Demata is able to really layer in more shadow <clears throat> and those feel like it really plays to his strength. Uh, at the end of the day, I scored this comic a 7.0, um, it was an interesting book as we as we close it, particularly as you close out the book when you when as the book ends, um, Mojo replaces Gambit with Longshot, um, and and apparently has done some type of wackadoodle spell on Rogue, so she doesn't get that that's not who she's supposed to be with. Um, so it, it kind of makes it mildly exciting for me to consider what comes next. Uh, but at the end of the day, it just didn't excite me that much to where I'm willing to you know kind of. Uh, plan, you know, summarily plan and, and definitively say that I'm going to pick up the next issue. Um, so, I don't know. It fell kind of flat for me overall. Uh, Stephen, what did you think about this issue? I I have a different opinion. <laughs> I I enjoyed it a lot. I I gave it a 7, I guess a 7.5 because um, I enjoy the humor of the book. I did like the flirty interactions with Gambit and Rogue. And especially when it came to like uh in the vents when they was in the air vents and Rogue had her ass her butt up and um Gambit was touching her butt and hitting on her <laughs> and she was like getting annoyed about it, but she decided to just kiss him because I don't know. She knows that's how Gambit usually is. She just kind of accepted. So yeah, I thought it was interesting, and 
I do like I do like the the humor about um that with Mojo when he comes to uh when he talks about that he wants to make a reboot of uh Moonlighting, which was like an old old school TV show. I thought that was hilarious. And <laughs> uh it's just funny how I wasn't sure it was Spiral or Domo that was like, I thought you wanted something new. And it's and Mojo was like, oh, it's just I'm giving something new on old favorites. So it's still technically new. <laughs> so yeah, it was just the humor was really good for me and I enjoyed that. And I did like the action with Rogan. Um with Rogan and Gambit. It was a really good action scene there. And I don't think Gambit is is that in the issue? I think that's just a shock factor. Yeah. yeah so it sounds like uh, you, uh, your the main part of your different take is that you did see it as as totally on as far as the the whimsy of it goes, and and, may, and maybe that's exactly what you saw. It was that moonlighting effect of, or, and that kind of Remington Steel like effect of like it's kind of a. It's it's kind of an eighty style romance action adventure uh, with um, I, with I the chemistry. Okay, all right, cool, cool, cool. All right. Well, f- far be it for us to ever say that us having a difference of opinion makes for bad television. So <laughs> I completely uh, heard about the TV show, right? Right. <laughs> but I've heard things about it from my parents. Right. Okay. So why don't you talk to us about uh, Injustice versus Masters of the Universe number six. I'm curious to see this because I actually just finished playing through the main campaign in the first uh, Injustice fighting game on PlayStation. So now that I'm a little familiar with how that story unfolds, I'm curious to hear how it's been, oh, how it is fun in Masters of the Universe. All right. Um, so, yeah. Let me see if I can just... Yeah, hold, give me a second. Uh, yeah, so the creative team for this book is um Tim Sale, Tim Seeley, and f- the artist is Freddie Williams II, and the colors is Jerry Caldwell and Andrew Dollhouse, and the letters is Wes Albert. So yeah, um. This this is the final issue of Injustice versus Masters of the Universe, which is basically He-Man. And in this in this um issue is you see uh it first starts off with Superman and He-Man talking to each other because um Superman one wants to reboot the the universe, like he wants to undo what he he wants to try to undo killing the, the Joker. And and um as that's going on, there's also a fight with um with the the masters the people from the masters of the universe, the He-Man universe, and the rest of the injustice characters like Batman, Flash. Everybody else that's in the good side of injustice. Um 
So yeah, they're fighting their war. They're trying to finish off the battle after Darkseid and Skeletor has gotten killed in that battle. And they're fighting the remaining the minions that were still alive in the battle. So... So yeah, um, so yeah, um, Superman and 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 He Man, just they they're talking to each other, and uh, he Superman decides to go like in the past. He uses the, the He Man sword, and he's some orb from the the Mother Box from Dark Side, and he combines them, and he's able to go to the past and he wants to he wants to stop um Superman stop from killing the Joker. But um he realizes that he can't do that because he sees that uh he sees infinite timelines in the in the with the weapons and he sees that uh no matter what he does um no matter what he does um, Lois Lane and his son is still ends up dead. Like if he doesn't decide to, he doesn't kill a Joker. There's a there's supposed to be a, like a, a car accident that kills, um, kills Lois Lane and and um, I guess the the son. I'm not sure it's to be John Kent, but I think that's what it's technically supposed to be. Um. So yeah, <clears throat> they. They um, the Superman gets angry and he just like he's like he gets fed up that he can't change what's happened to his, the fate of his wife and son, so he tries to attack He Man, but um, He Man gets transported to like some. Uh, he gets transported to the Wizard, the Shazam Wizard, and he. He talks to him about Billy Batson, how much of a great um, hero he was, and Superman had killed him, and it's like he's chosen to wield his power and see what he can do to stop Superman from doing what he's going to do, and he gives him the Shazam powers, and he's back to where Superman is. It's like a flash, like it flashes back to him being where Superman is, and then um, uh, Superman is, I mean, He-Man is, he turns to Shazam, and he uh, sees that Superman is going through so much emotions, he felt like, it's best that uh, I kill, I decided to kill Superman, so he could finally be with his family, because there's no other ways for him to be with his family. So, uh, he decides to kill off Superman, and Superman dies and ends up going with his wife and son in heaven, I guess. So yeah, um, so He-Man returns to uh, Eternia and he sees that the fight is already over. The war with with the, um, the remaining bad guys who, who worked for Skeletor and Darkseid. So they take them down and um uh so yeah um Batman Bruce Wayne asks um He-Man where is uh where is Superman and 
he said that the deaf he, um, he man lies to him. He says that the deaf racer decides to kill Superman when he technically killed Superman, but he didn't want to tell him that. So he said that the tech, the deaf racer killed Superman because he was disrupting time, which usually does happen with. The, I remember in the C, in the Flash of the CW show that happened when Barry tries to uh, change time. So yeah, um, so <clears throat> they just they um they do yeah so they go back to their original worlds and um there's also they come up with deals like excuse me yeah um he man and and um Batman decide to make a prison for for Wonder Woman and um Evelyn one of the He-Man characters yeah because they put Wonder Woman and Evelyn in the same prison because uh Wonder Woman had killed um Damien in the previous issues and she has to be in through her time in prison and they put other people in the in the same prison and and um Superman, I mean, Superman, Batman decides to make a new Justice League with a whole bunch of heroes. Like, there's like um, Supergirl and Kyle Reiner is in there, and some other like Green Arrow. It's like and Harley Quinn. I yeah, there's like a whole bunch of new Justice League members, and um, so yeah, and then there's a, it's like a fast forward like to the future scene where um. Um, I think it's Horndak. Yeah, another He-Man villain. He teams up with a whole bunch of DC and He-Man villains, and calls them some type of. He told he call, like he makes his own like kind of like Green Lantern Corp kind of team, and they're gonna they gonna fight um Eternia and and Earth. I guess. That's supposed to be like if there's another storyline, if there's a part two, I think that's where the story would go. And yeah, so um so the story ends there. That's how this they they just that's how the story ends. Um I did enjoy this issue a lot. I would give it a 8.0 because I did like the the moments where He-Man and Superman were trying to come up with what to do. Like, like He-Man understood what Superman was going through and he was allowing him to go back in time and see if he can undo what he wants to do because Superman did a lot of wrong and he wants to do all, undo all those mistakes, but he came to realize he can't do undo those mistakes because the same thing is always going to happen. And, and I did like that. Uh, He-Man decided, I guess, killing him off in a in a good way, I guess, in a way of him being with his family, because that's the only way he, it brings him happiness instead of being angry all the time and and never going his way. So that's the only way he can achieve it, um, happiness. And yeah, go ahead. But, oh, <laughs> but yeah. So yeah, I thought that was interesting. I did like the the interactions with the, with Shazam, the wizard, and 
and He-Man talking there. They had some good interactions. Talk about Billy Batson and what happened in Justice. So it was a pretty good storyline. I did like the action as well with with the rest of the um, Justice League and the Masters of the Universe um, working together to fight the rest of the villains and Excuse me, I'm glad I was kind of I did like that the 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 people who were working for Dark Science got um Skeletor, even though after Dark Science Skeletor got killed because they fought each other and got killed each other. And some reason the villains still kept fighting. They didn't they didn't stop the fight. So I thought that was interesting because usually when their main boss ends up getting killed, they stop the fight. But they kept going, which I thought that was interesting. See. Okay, cool. So what did you uh, what did you re- score this book in the end? I gave it an eight point zero. Okay. Yeah. All right. I just I just wish that this was canon, but I don't think it's gonna be canon to the video <laughs> game. Right. Right. Uh, anything else that you want to cover on uh, Injustice versus Masters of, Masters of the Universe number six? No, I don't think I'm good with that. I'm done with okay. that one. All right. Uh, next. Uh, comic in the review segment is Titans number 32, uh, obviously published by DC. Interesting, as you mentioned, Kyle Rayner uh, appearing in the last issue. This uh, story continues um, this advent of Kyle Rayner having joined the Titans. Um, and it, this issue was kind of weird to me because it was more preamble into the new arc, uh, which is, I guess, will now officially be called Last Rights. It's, this was Last Rights number one. Um, uh, writer Dan Abnett, artist Clayton Henry, colors by Marcelo Maiolo, Maiolo and letters by the great Dave Sharp. Um, so as I mentioned, you know, you have Beast Boy sitting in the chair, getting the exorcist treatment, speaking in tongues, relaying information uh, as it is being relayed through him by uh, the villain of the story, which is revealed to be Mother Blood, who uh, I wasn't exactly positive because they didn't come right out and say it, but I guess... She is part of the cult that Brother Blood would have started. Um, I don't know that for certain, but it, it seems like that's what it would be. Uh, there is a male a leader of this cult depicted uh, for the first half or so of the story until Mother Blood um, either uh, witnesses his his death or maybe she kills him. I can't remember exactly which. Um, but uh, then she takes over the cult of the Red Um which we saw speaking through Beast Boy last issue, and that continues this issue. Except this issue, we're definitively given a view of her um, speaking, and we know that it's her uh, using Beast Boy as a puppet. Uh, so unfortunately, at the end of the day, with the way this movie feels, not a lot happens in this issue, right? In the current timeline, um, it kind of ends at the exact same point that the last issue of Titans did, except this one is told kind of from the villain perspective. Um, so, you know, so, so at the end of the day, you know, somewhere on an earth or some parallel, some, one of the multiverses that is not technically in the multiverse um, is where the Titans have to, <clears throat> excuse me, is where the Titans have to go. And there's more allusion to that in this issue on uh, art. Clayton Henry does a great job here, but unfortunately there's just not a lot of story to tell. So there's not a lot for him to really do. Um, he does do a great job emoting uh, with his, uh, with, with the faces when he's in the portrait view. 
Uh, and uh, and that, that those particular scenes were, were pretty much pretty incredible. Um, Clayton Henry probably does one of the best jobs of drawing uh, expressions uh, on faces in comics. But at the end of the day, I wound up scoring this issue a 6.5 uh, out of 10. Uh, it's fine, but it's a bridge issue. And what kind of bothers me with it, again, strategically, from a from an architectural perspective in laying the story out, we've had two bridge issues now. Um, you know, we had the Titans returning home and getting Kyle Rayner uh, to the point where he says he's going to join the team and kind of the really the denouement of the drowned earth part that the Titans played and their return from exile and their reintegration into the league with Donna Troy reporting up through Batman. Um, this issue is another bridge issue where the story proper doesn't really get started. Um, but it's just a bunch of kind of administrivia and background story on the villain, uh, which to me felt almost a little too detailed. Like if mother blood is some character that we're going to see, you know, many, many, many times over then okay. Spend that much time on telling her story in this issue. Um, but other than that, I kind of question the, the sheer number of pages allocated to tell her story. Um, so it was just kind of weird. Uh, so, so again, uh, it's, it's, it's a bridge issue. I, for that reason, I almost hesitate to comment on it too much. I, there are times that I wish you could take these bridge issues kind of out and, and not talk about them from the aspect of assigning them a score, just give them a, a pass. But at the end of the day, they're part of the content, and I feel like we're kind of obligated to talk about them in that way. Um, but kind of the same thing as the Mr. and Mrs. X thing. Like, there was a pretty decent story here. Um, architecturally, I get how you have to lay this type of an issue out in the whole roadmap. But at the end of the day, it didn't really do a lot for me. But it also didn't, like I said, it's it's not, like I've said several times in the past, there is art that actually uh, are, are comics that actually irritate me when I read them in my stack. And I'm like, oh, man, that was really a waste of my time. I wish I hadn't bothered with that issue. I didn't feel that way about this issue. Um, Steven, did you also read Titans number 32? Yeah, I read this issue. I gave it a 7.5. I I really enjoyed the, the origin of Mother Blood. I'm glad I got to know about how she became Mother Blood and why. And it was interesting to see that how that happened and how she just was um she was she didn't she wasn't convinced about about Jason's blood religion. I mean brother blood's religion, but as yeah, it's brother blood. Yes, yeah, Jason blood. Um yeah, um what is it? Yeah, he she wasn't convinced at first and then somehow once he took her to that 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 um forest with the red powers that and Somehow she was convinced when she got the power of, of of Brother Blood. And I thought that was interesting how she got there at that point. So, yeah, I, I did enjoy this issue because of, of the origin of the villain. That's pretty much it. Okay, very good. Um, and, and, I, and not to say that I, I didn't not enjoy the issue. It's just it, it, it didn't, you know, really grab me. Um, so the next uh, comic that we're going to talk about in the review segment is Superior Spider-Man number one. So this is one of the issues that would have actually come out uh, on or about the 26th of December. Um, Talent on it is Chris, uh, write, uh, story written by Christos Gage, pencils Mike Hawthorne, inks by uh, Wade Von Grabacher, uh, colors by Jordi Bel Air, and letters by Clayton Cowles. 
one thing I will say is, you know, I've now been trained by Marvel so that when I see Jordy Belair on colors, that tells me that that is a comic that I need to pay attention to because they wouldn't have allocated her to that if the story wasn't important. Um, this is the take on Otto Octavius now having found a new body um, after previously having inherited Peter Parker for some number of years. Uh, and then Peter Parker's uh, persona reasserting itself and therefore Otto Octavius's mind having to go find us some other place to live. Um, he does so. And now this is an issue on, on the other side of spider again, where we get an opportunity to see Otto Octavius perform in his own ongoing series where hopefully he won't suffer from the curse of, um, you know, the simple fact that comic book fans don't consume uh, villain centric ongoings um, in large numbers. So uh, one of the things I really like in this comic is uh, Mike Hawthorne's pencils really give it the feel of, of, of a 1970s um. uh, I got to make. I'm gonna go make a quick run to the restroom. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I'll, I'll keep riffing right. while you're doing that. Um, I really like Mike Mike Hawthorne's pencils in these in this issue because, um, particularly in the opening pages where he is fighting, I, I don't know who this guy is, it's like Stilt Man or whatever. It's really kind of a, a rube of a, um, or it was really kind of a a, a, a joke of a uh, of a. Uh, of a comic book villain um, and uh, you know, superior Spider-Man kind of handles him very soundly. Uh, but there, here we get some insight into Otto Octavius and particularly um, how he views himself in his life, uh, having experienced abuse at the hands of his father um, and then falling in love with, uh, with Maria, who was Peter Parker's assistant in the company that he started. Uh, and then uh, going back to uh, teach at a college uh, I think this is out in Seattle or San Francisco. It's somewhere out on the West Coast. And Maria discovering him, despite the fact that he's in a body that looks nothing like Otto Octavius, her just being able to recognize him from his persona. Um, and then uh, at the end, uh, Terex, yeah, Terex the Taker, I guess one of the heralds. I don't know if this guy is one of the heralds of... Uh, of Galactus. Um, I'm sure there's a character I probably should be familiar with, but I'm just not, um, arrives. And, uh, Maria is really giving Octavius a very hard time, uh, you know, for what he did to her, um, and is intending to turn him into the police. But at the end of the day, when Terex shows up, she agrees to go ahead and let him go. Uh, at the end of the day, I scored this issue an 8.0 out of 10. Uh, it's really well written. And, and after, Seeing Christos Gage and, and my feeling was I kind of I didn't feel like his work on Spider Geddon was the best and this was kind of a thing that I saw I felt I saw with Charles Soule when he wrote Death of Wolverine that I felt that wasn't his best work and I felt like there was a, a very heavy handed editorial feel to it uh, maybe because it was an event and the editorial was trying to kind of force him through a certain rubric um, it's the same way that I felt about Christos Gage when he was writing Spider Geddon. Um, this feels like Christos is a little more free and a little more um, uh, willing the story and where it's headed than I felt than when he was writing Spider Geddon. Um, so, uh, so Stephen, I know you didn't hear all of my riff on Superior Spider Man, uh, but did you read yeah. this issue? Yeah, I did read this issue. I thought it was okay. I gave it a seven point five. 
Okay. Just I didn't like the art that much, and um, <laughs> I kind of knew that uh that um was um Doctor um Octavius's girlfriend was gonna figure out that that's basically Doctor Octopus. Yeah, yeah, I kind of figured she's gonna find figure out that that was Otto, and that was pretty much it. They didn't really. Not much happens besides that, I think. Okay. Okay, so why don't you talk to us about uh, the silencer number 12? The silencer number 12 is... um, um, Let me check the creative team. So yeah, the creative team is um Jack Hubert and Dan Abinett is the writers and the um I think yeah the the artist was um Tom I think it was yeah Tom Dernick and the colorist is um Mike Spicer. And the letters is um Tom Tom Lepepino, whatever his name is. I don't know how to pronounce it. But yeah. Anyway, um there's a story it starts off with um Talogul and her Leviathan um pe- the people that work for Leviathan bowing down to her after she comes with a deal that she's not gonna kill them if they continue to work for her for something and um um silence is the only one that does it that disagrees with working for talagul and um she ends up fighting talagul and everybody leviathan so Everybody's fighting against her. She's just by herself. And she she um she she tries her best to fight Talagul and um Talagul takes her down and we she doesn't kill her, but she she handicaps her, I guess, by just stabbing her and um and uh Salagul asks her if um if if you uh if you join me to 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 if you decide to join the Leviathan that uh she would um she will not kill her and she will also provide I guess safety for the family like if she she will um she will not kill her her son and husband and she'll keep them safe and if you, she decides to work for her and um silencer does end up working for her and 
And there's also in the in, in the in the shoe, um, Sinus's um husband, I think. I'm not sure if it's a husband or boyfriend, but yeah, they uh they're trying to want they're wondering where the hell that honor guests went. Um, the silencer and the um I guess the FBI agent decides to put them in a room and they talk to each other and say if he um he I mean the the FBI agent she asks him if he knows anything about his wife and he like if like I don't know for some reason he doesn't he like freezes and tries to think back to if he knows about his um his wife's past or anything about her that that they can find information and see where she's went and he honestly didn't know anything about his wife he couldn't think of where she comes from or who her parents are yeah he didn't he didn't know anything about her and he like felt shocked and the fbi thought that he was like traumatized but he said no he's He's not traumatized. He's actually just in shock that he doesn't know anything about his wife. And his son tells him that he is okay, that he doesn't know anything about his mom. And I guess they try to make him feel better. But um Yeah, they <clears throat> that's and um by the end of the issue, um even though Talagu and uh the silencer came with an agreement to work um work together and she uh as they agreed to work with each other um the silencer i mean uh Talagu ends up still stabbing the silencer again and knock her out the window and that's how the story ends and um i really didn't like like this issue that much i would give it like a 6.0 because i'm not clearly convinced that that um i don't like the idea of of the silencer's husband not knowing anything about his wife's past i mean like i don't if she did like if he doesn't know anything about her why is she fighting for for him and her her son like why is why does she have so much love for them if she doesn't if they know nothing about each other it's like that's not how love works but they should i mean it would be it would be understanding if he knows a fake past of her but he doesn't know anything which is like that's just kind of stupid i would understand if um, the silencer came with a fake pass, so he has an idea of of who she is, even though it's not really her. He has some type of idea to, he needs some type of information to fall in love with somebody. That doesn't make any sense that you just magically fall in love with somebody and have a child without knowing anything. It just doesn't make any sense to me. Well, the the, the child was his from a previous marriage, wasn't it? I don't think that's her biological. Well, I don't know because she met the guy and she didn't have a son. Like there was a story, there was an issue where she met the guy and 
at the time she was a Gotham City worker for Talal Ghul right. to hunt Batman. Yeah, I, yeah. And I, that, I, and I read that. I thought I thought that was his son from a previous series, but I mean, at any rate, I mean, it's. I get, I get what you're yeah, saying. Just, <laughs> yeah, it just seems weird. I thought he at least knows something of her, and it just bothers me. That he doesn't know anything of her, and it's just weird how Talal Ghul decides to not kill anyone and the Leviathan and she's like, oh, I'll give you extra protection. You decide to continue work for me and everybody decides to comply and works for her. And it's like, wasn't that the same deal as before? Like, why are you getting the same type of deal? Right. It's just a really poorly done issue. I didn't like it. The art was great, but the the story was pretty bad. Okay. So why don't you talk to us about something you did like in The Walking Dead number 187? Um, so yeah, The Walking Dead, um, just, <clears throat> yeah, The Walking Dead is, number 187 is, um, is, is, the creative team is Robert Kurtman, is the writer, Charlie Aller is the artist, the inker is Steph Guano and the the colors is Cliff Ratburn and um the letters is Russ Wulton. Um so yeah, this issue is still continuing the Commonwealth with uh you see how um the I think the governor of Commonwealth, she just um Milton, she decides to um make a speech where uh, what happened in the office with Rick, Michonne, and Dwight, where Dwight tried to kill her and Rick saved her life and he shot Dwight. And um, yeah, um, so yeah, she talks, she tells her, her people in, in the Commonwealth that, that, um, Dwight ended up getting killed, and she was like trying to tell that everyone that Rick saved her life, and she doesn't want any um excuse me, any problems or or beef with um with Rick's um people. Don't they don't she doesn't want her people to start any tr- um trouble just because Dwight tried to kill her and so, so, like, do not let anything uh, affect the changes that's going on in Commonwealth. To, uh, to not act upon it. Just let everything go back to the way it was. And I guess um, Rick and Milton are going to try to come up with a situation to make the Commonwealth better, I guess. So, yeah. And... And... um. During they they um as this, they cut off the speech where Rick is talking. They didn't. F- I mean, he does talk for a little bit, but then they don't. They cut off to other scenes where um they have the people who work for Dwight. They're gonna. They haven't heard from Dwight, and they're thinking that they should go to the Commonwealth and see what happened to Dwight because um so far is only. Michonne and Rick and the people from Commonwealth knows what happens to Dwight, not the people that's back in Alexandria 
the people that work with Dwight and the the people that work for Rick and I me mean, that live in Rick's town, Alexandria. And there's also a scene with Mercer and Princess. They're talking to each other, and Princess decides to um she decides to break off the relationship and she wants to get away because she feels that the the, the dramas is going in Commonwealth is gonna get worse. And she says she knows how to deal with this because her her past of her parents had the same um ended up in the same way that she didn't that she never had a good family background and she she was um yeah so she just rather be alone and not deal with what's going to go on here she doesn't want to get killed so she just she decides to leave and break up with mercer and then they cut off to a scene with uh sophia talking to um her new um, dates, Joshua. It's about their Maggie and he and his mother. And um, then they have Carl talking with his girlfriend and how he loves her a lot because he 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 was like a monster and he like she was able to relate to him because she also was like a monster and. She didn't understand that. She took it as a bad thing. She walks out. And later on in the issue, they decide to um, talk again. And he was talking about it in a way like uh, that they can relate to each other. Like if, like um, he wouldn't accept his monsterness if she wasn't the way that she was. The ways in relating to each other. So... Um, Then there's um there's more talk with um Michonne and 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 Rick the restaurant they just come with they just try to talk about what happened with Dwight and see what was the right thing to do and and Michelle makes Rick realize that he it was okay for him to kill Dwight it was gonna happen no matter what and then uh. Maggie decides to talk with um, Aaron and Jesus and a whole bunch of other people to go look for Rick because they haven't heard from him. They thought that he would be back by now with the, with the Commonwealth and they decide to go. And Carl decides to um, go as well. And at the, at the end of the issue, uh, Mercer decides to talk with his men and they said that they don't like what's going on with Commonwealth and they want to take over um, Milton's spot. He wants to take over Commonwealth. He wants to be the leader. And and the, um, apparently one of the people that work for, for Milton, I think his name is Lance, he comes in and hears what they were, what Mercer was talking about and the issue ends there. Um, so yeah, I'll I did give this issue a, a 8.5. I really did enjoy the interactions. There was a lot of character development in here, which is what Robert Cameron usually does. And I do like what he does with his writing. Like, I know some people don't like that the character development is, um, points 
I know people complain about it in the TV show because they just rather see him them attack um attacking zombies, but I prefer characterization more. That's just how I am. And uh I see a lot of characterization goes on in this issue and it was interesting to see the characters interact and I did like the the conversations with Carl and and his girlfriend and how they were able to use monster as a symbolism and not look at it as a bad thing, look at it as a positive. And I thought that was pretty interesting. So yeah, I really did like this issue a lot. It was pretty good. Well, that's a good uh, set of commentary on your impressions of the book. I <laughs> differed with you. I rated the book a 6.5. Um, now, again, for me, it was a drop-in issue. Uh, the problem I had with it is I felt like the first half of the book um, didn't really – I felt like that didn't have a lot of character development in it. Um, uh, but I felt like in the second half of the book where you get into, like, the – the sit-down meeting between the second sit-down meeting really between Rick and Michonne. You know, I mean, it's the second across the continuity of the two books. You know, I felt that started to kind of open up the aperture on things that I'm accustomed to seeing from Kirkman. Um, I felt the the scene interludes between Carl and I forget what his girlfriend's name is. Yeah, I forgot her uh, name too. <laughs> right, definitely felt more uh, poignant um, in the second half of the book. So, uh, so like I said, I wound up rating it a 6.5 out of 8.5. Uh, that pretty much does it for us for the reviews segment of the show. Steven, talk to me about what was the best thing that you read in comics last week. The best thing I read was, um, it was Detective Comics 995. Um, and just, uh... Um, yeah, so, um, the creative team was, uh, Peter J. Tomasi is a writer. The artist is Doug Mankey, Doug Mankey. Um, the inker is Jane Mondeza and the colors is David Barron and the letters is Rob Lay. So, yeah, um, I, I, I put this book at the issue of the week because, um, it gets, uh, there's a. Uh, I'll explain the story. Um, the Batman is trying to save Leslie Tompkins from the Joker toxin, and he brings her. He brings her to Alfred, and they're trying to race to uh, like cure her, and they don't. They, none of the antidotes is working, and it comes to a time where she ends up passing, and. Before she did pass, um, Bruce Wayne, like, he goes really crazy and tries to, uh, best, tries his best to, uh, revive her, and it didn't work. He just was not giving up, and he was very stubborn about it. And she ends up dying, and, uh, what is it? They go through some emotional moments with Alfred and Batman. So, um, Alfred decides to uh, take a break and he goes upstairs to rest himself. And um, what is it? Uh, for some, um, Zor- uh, like some Zorro type of, some kind of Zorro suit. 
decides to like t- uh, comes in and tries to attack Alfred and Batman heard it the things going on upstairs he decides to uh run upstairs and he sees that Alfred is on the floor with like blood on his chest and the Zoro villain like he quickly he quickly leaves and cuz i think he he noticed that Batman heard him heard the action is going on uh, so they he decides to leave and um Batman decides to uh patch Alfred up um then what is it um he uh goes to Jeremiah Arkham he goes to, to an Arkham Asylum he goes to talk to him and say he wants to do conduct the uh, interviews with all the villains in Arkham Asylum and see who who tries to kill who just tried to kill um Leslie Tompkins and Alfred cuz um he doesn't know who put this joker toxin in her and he doesn't know the person who tried to kill Alfred he doesn't have any idea who who's been planning all this and he's going to go try to figure out with these villains and um i just i gave this issue like a 9.5 i i really did like um batman not giving up to uh revive Leslie Tompkins he was really out of it and I'd like the the one thing I do admire about Batman is that he's not willing to give up he's always trying his hardest to get to get what he wants and I saw that here he had a he was very emotional and he actually did care for Leslie Tompkins he he viewed her as like a mother figure that he didn't get to have with his mother and I thought that was interesting and I like that and I did like the nice tender moments with Alfred too and Alfred trying to uh make Bruce Wayne feel better about Leslie Tompkins' death and tell her yes let her go because there's no other way to save her and we can't we did everything that we could. And I do enjoy that. It was pretty well done. And I also thought that it's interesting that you get to see some villain that's just up like Zoro because it comes full circle that I guess um, since we're reaching the set the comics 1000 and Batman's or story, or, um, origin story had, you know, Batman, I mean, when he was a little kid, Bruce, I mean, Bruce Wayne was a little kid, he went to go see, uh, um, he went to go see Zorro. That was his movie. That's like his favorite hero, and that's what character he looks up to. And that's the the idea where Batman came from. Like, there's some Zorro influence in there. So yeah, um, I thought that was interesting for it to come full circle on on Zorro. So I really did like this issue a lot, and um, I don't know. I just hope that. They that they reference in other books that Leslie Tompkins had died because I don't like it where things go on in one book and for some reason she's alive in another book and no one even cares that she died in one book. I just hope that other books follow suit on the character's death. And um yeah, I just hope that, that this 
death is actually counts. Um, yeah, I don't want to see evaporate in like the next another Batman book because it 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 was so very shocking for 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 her um, Leslie Thompson to get killed in this issue. I wasn't expecting that, and I noticed there was like we did see Leslie Tompkins in the Batman Annual number three, so it's kind of. I guess it came into place when we see her died in Detective Comics. It was, I think it came naturally fitting. Even though we were supposed to get the issue earlier in the summer. I thought that was interesting that it came in time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So this was an issue that I really liked as well. And I am normally, I normally am a big Detective Comics fan um, when it's done in my mind right and it's thematically different from what's going on in the Batman core comic. Um, as of late, I have been reading a lot of Batman, and uh, I was kind of very surprised by things that went on in Detective Comics. Um, I was surprised, um, as you mentioned, that after having just seen like a, a great um, portrayal of Leslie Tompkins in the in the Batman Annual, which would have made you think like maybe they're poisoning this character to be seen more frequently in the regular comic, and so we need to do a lot of her backstory and everything, but. So it was a very strange drumbeat for me to to blow her up like that in the annual and then take her take that chess piece off the board um, in this issue. So, uh, but overall, I liked it. Um, I'm interested to see where Detective Comics goes over the next few issues. Um, for me, uh, and I, I probably mentioned it. I can't remember. So, like I said, I, I rated uh, Detective Comics order nine nine five and eight point uh, on my end. Um, the thing that I picked for uh, the best thing that I read last week was Immortal Hulk number 11. Uh, Al Ewing and Joe Bennett continue to be on a tear uh, as far as I'm concerned. I know that this is not a comic that's for everyone. However, I think it's a comic that uh, is, is, is a worthwhile read for people who are fans of the medium. Um, you know, Ewing continues to kind of pick a lot of philosophical things apart in the nature of man um, and his character and his ethics. Um, and I find it very interesting. Uh, in this issue, we get um, more of the, uh, I can't remember her name, but uh, I guess McGee, this is the uh, uh, African-American female that they have had take on the McGee name, which you know from the 1980s TV show, Mr. McGee, um, and the famous line, Mr. McGee, don't make me angry. You wouldn't like me when I'm angry. Um, so um, she winds up being with the Hulk uh, in hell, um, uh, having been in the vicinity of him when he fought the Absorbing Man last issue, um, and they encounter all sorts of weird uh, renders of of people that they know from their lives. Um, and at the end, it what it appears is that Bruce Banner has actually been in hell this whole time, and his father is there with him, um, and it's the Hulk who somehow has survived and has not been sent uh, to... Um, to serve out penance in hell or whatever. Not, they can't say exactly what's going on, but I thought this issue was really great. Joe Bennett continues to do really awesome creature work. Um, it's, it's shot oftentimes shocking with the things that he renders on screen. I know that it's a challenge for him and I'm sure I can imagine that the discussion between he and Al Ewing are, you know, when he gets the script from Ewing, it's like, Ewing, you want me to draw what? Um, because there's really some, uh, really strange, uh, photos as you go, um, through this uh, great panel work too, in particular in this issue, 
uh, Joe Bennett taking a lot of uh, artistic license in how he wanted to uh, present and portray the story. So to me, it was the best thing that I read uh, last week. Uh, Stephen, what do you have for honorable mentions? Uh, and again, for the listeners, honorable mentions are those books that we read and would have scored an 8.0 or above that were not the best thing that we read last week. So Stephen, take it away. All right. Um, my honorable mentions is Action Comics 1006, which is a, a, a interesting issue with uh, Red Cloud working for Leviathan. She works for Talagu, apparently, and she works for another higher up. And I think it's interesting that maybe Superman's going to fight Talagu in this, which is interesting. I gave it an 8.5. Um, Batman Beyond number 27 is still continuing. Batman Beyond, I mean, Batman and Robin fighting uh, the Joker in the Beyond universe. And it is still fighting each other. I gave it 8.0. Books and Magic is uh, Tim Hunter talking with his principal in in the magic school. And they talk about his magic abilities. And then there's a funeral with one of the teachers who passed away. And I thought that was an interesting issue. Uh, I gave it an 8.0. Just League Odyssey talks about uh, number four. It talks about cyborgs. Um, um, you see how um, there are people that believe in cyborg and what his world is like. And it was pretty interesting to find out about the the prophecies, um, the prophecy of cyborg. And now they're going to find out about Asriel's, um prophecy about why people believe in him. So I gave it an 8.0 and Raven's Dart of Darkness. They're still fighting the I forgot some ghost villains. I I know they still continue to fight those ghost villains. Raven Dart of Darkness number 11. I give it an 8.0. Uh Runaways number 17 I give it an 8.5. It just it's just um Deals with the runaways fighting the Gribbagorm people that the parents their parents worked for in the previous volumes, and at the end of the issue, uh, Alex betrays the team again, and it, I thought that was cliche because it happened before and it's happening again. But I did it did give it a solid. I still like the issue a lot, so I gave it eight point five. Um, the Verifics number 11, I gave it an 8.0 because it gets to learn about the characters. And Mr. Terrific is going to fight Dr. Dread by himself. And it was interesting to know about each other characters because they go back home and get to be with their people and that they interact in their lives. And there was nice, some character development there. Uh, Wind Soldier number two, I gave it an 8.5 because. You get to learn about the character that Bucky is, I mean, that Winter Soldier is fighting. He's fighting a child soldier, and you get to learn about the child soldier's past. So that was interesting. Uh, and I I gave it 8.5. Um, X-Force number one, I give it an 8.0 because um, you get to learn about why Cable, young Cable has to work with the X-Force. And there's some terrorists um go i mean there's some going something going on in some country i forgot what it was that say uh that has mutant rights and the general kills the president and they get 
blamed for it. So they had the the X Force and Younger Cable had to work together. So I thought that was interesting. So I gave it an eight point oh. So yeah, that's it. Okay, thanks so much for run, giving us the rundown. Uh, for me, my honorable mentions from the last two weeks have been Fantastic Four number five, which was finally the wedding issue between Alicia Masters and Ben Grimm, uh, which I rated an 8.5. Superior Spider-Man number one, which we talked about before, I rated an 8.0. And Detective Comics number 995, which we also talked about before, which I rated an 8.0. Steven, what are you pulling for next week? All right, it's quite of a list. <laughs> so, uh, I'm pulling for next week is Star Wars number 59, Just League number 15, Green Arrow number 48, Deathstroke number 39. Excuse me. Um, yeah, Deathstroke number 39, unbeatable, the, the Unbeatable Square Girl number 40, Adventures of Super Sons number 6, Domino number 10, uh, Monster Models Spider-Man number 2, Spider-Gwen, Ghost Spider number 4, uh, the Dreamy number five, Young Justice number one, Hit Girl number one, Kick Ass number eleven, Man Without Fear number two, Captain Marvel number one, Friend, Friendly Neighborhood Spider Man number one, Black the Black Word number three, The Curse of Brimstone number ten, The Unexpected number eight, Suicide Squad Black Files number three, Archie meets Batman sixty six number six. Faith, Dreamside, number four, and Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Shredder, and Hell, number one. All right, that's it. Yeah, sorry, I'm talking with uh, Clementine uh, in the chat, who's tuned in to listen in on part of the show. Uh, Unfortunately, they were interested in hearing the commentary about The Walking Dead, number 187. Uh, But Clementine, hopefully... uh, once, uh, as soon as we close this video out, it should appear on YouTube, and you can definitely uh, scrub back and uh, listen to that part. I, I can't give you a time index when it occurred, uh, but I will say it is at the end of our reviews segment, So, uh, which is probably right about the uh, one hour mark, I want to say. Maybe I'm wrong, but uh, if you go back... Um, and uh, and listen for that. Uh, before we talked about The Walking Dead, we were talking about The Silencer, number 12. Um, and then after that, we were talking about Detective Comics, number 995. So uh, hopefully that will help you square up and find it. Uh, for me, uh, for my pull list, uh, this upcoming week, I will be pulling Batman, number 62, Justice League, number 15, Punisher, number 6, Star Wars, number 59, Bully Wars, number 5, over on Image, as well as Die, number 2, also over on Image. Uh, Deathstroke number 39, Young Justice number one, which I'm kind of reading against my better judgment because I when it popped up in the randomizer, I was like, ah, this is not in DC continuity. This is kind of Bendis. Well, Bendis said it is in DC continuity. I don't know how. I don't, like, yeah, I don't see how it works. No, I mean, in the in the in the marketing press in the back of the book, it, I mean, it, it clearly says it's not in DC continuity. Um, oh, because I saw he said on Twitter. <laughs> yeah, he, yeah. It's, no it's, it, well, I think it's its own continuity. My sense of it is, is this is DC giving him the opportunity to do the same thing that he did uh, with the ultimate brand in Marvel. Uh, so it's kind of the same thing over again. Um, uh, I'll also be pulling uh, The Curse of Brimstone number 10 and Captain Marvel number one. Uh, my regret being that I'm not, 
that uh, Spider-Man Miles Morales number two, um, I'm not reading because uh, unfortunately that book did not make it onto my recurring pull list uh, just based on timing. So it should be a pretty exciting week next week. Uh, Steven and I are pulling a lot of issues that are the same, and that's always the most exciting part of the show uh, when we're able to go back and forth on particular issues that we have read. Um, but that's going to do it for me, Stephen. Anything else that you wanted to add to this week's discussion? No, there's something else. All right. Well, thanks so much, everybody, for joining in. I apologize we ran a little long tonight. Uh, we will be back next week for What's Your Issue, episode number 14, where we will be talking about six to eight of the books that we just talked about. Uh, we'll be doing six again in the review segment and two in our uh, best things that we read last week. And who knows how many books will make it into honorable mentions. Once again, this has been Agaskali Stamus from the E2KG Network podcasting channel on YouTube. This has been What's Your Issue? Episode number 13, uh, going back over the books that shipped the 2nd of January, 2019. Like I mentioned, we will be back next week. And uh, if you are watching this on Twitter, please do me a favor and like the video and subscribe to the channel. Now, if you're watching this on SoundCloud or Pocket Cast, please feel free to give us a review or give us a star rating to indicate uh, whether or not you enjoyed listening to the show. Uh, and if you have any direct feedback, probably the best thing to do is to shoot that back to us on Twitter uh, at E2KG Network. So thanks so much again for joining in. That's going to do it for us for tonight. Until next time, take care of you and good night. <laughs>